The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. God has been speaking for eons and generations about the one who was to come. And looking back on history, I wonder why those who were there in the first moments of him missed him. It's the same question I ask of today. Why do people continue to miss him? God has been whispering before the birth of Christ about the coming of the Christ for eons. Whispering, he's coming soon. Don't miss him. I want to recap where we started last week for those of you who weren't here or haven't caught up with us and where we've been last week online and set up where we're going over the next few weeks together. God in the Old Testament had been continuing to whisper to people in shadows and in types. Things were given in shadows, things were given in types and in whispers of God before they could be clearly seen. It's been said that the, that, that the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And the New Testament, all that is Christ, is concealed in the Old Testament. So when you understand them, you can see them in each other, the Old and the New. God had been whispering to his people about the Messiah, about the Christ. Long before Jesus was born into history. Long before that first Christmas night. It, it, I, I shared last week, and I want to remind you, it's almost like a game of Where's Waldo. Have you ever, you ever seen that, that, little, that little book, Where's Waldo? Like, you, you know that this guy is there somewhere. But when you look at the scope of the picture, it, he's hard to find sometimes. It's almost as if, like, you know, something inside is, is pulling, is convincing you, is telling, like, God's there somewhere. If I could just get a clear picture of him, it'd be all right. But I can't quite, I can't quite pick him out. I know he's there. And my eye darts back and forth, back and forth. I think I get a glimpse and I, and I, and, I know he's there, he's just hard. Has God ever been hard to find? This Christmas season, I want to tune our eyes and tune our ears to see and to hear the whispers of God. 1,400 years before the baby was born in a manger, God had been whispering to people, that he's coming soon. Namely, and what we're going in this series, namely God's whisper to people had been through the festivals, the Old Testament festivals that God instituted through Moses. It's as if the festivals were previews that before God pulled back the curtain for the main attraction. They were festivals. He's coming soon. I don't want us to miss the baby, uh, to see the baby, uh, miss the Messiah. 
I don't want to get caught up in the festival that is the Christmas season and miss the Christ. For the Jews, their, their lives were, were run by two calendars. One was a civil calendar, the other was a religious calendar. And, and the, the main one for the Jews that drove their, their being was the religious calendar. And the religious calendar was divided into different sections. The first section of the religious calendar for the Jews began with four spring festivals. The festival of Passover, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of first fruits, and the festival of Pentecost. That's where the religious calendar began. And for them, more so than the civil calendar, this is what ran their life. And then after those four, first four festivals in the spring, there was a four-month break. And then there were three festivals in the fall. The festival of trumpets, the day of atonement, and the festival of tabernacles or tents. And these are the things that God used as whispers about what was coming. These seven festivals, four in the spring, three in the fall, many of them included days off. All of them included prescribed things to do. And they were shadows and they were whispers about what God was doing and soon to do through the Messiah Jesus, who is the Christ. And it's as if God was saying, I want you to get ready. I want you to get ready. I want you to get ready. He's coming soon. And they practiced these festivals for 1,400 years. You'd think they'd be ready. Right? For three of the festivals, every able-bodied male Jew was required to make the trip to Jerusalem. Wives and children could come along as well, but the requirement, because it was such an arduous journey, was that the men at least may go through the pain and the effort of making the trip. Three of the spring festivals all took place within one week of each other. One of the festivals happened 50 days later. And this is the reason why so many people were in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, when he was resurrected, and we're still there at what's known as Pentecost and had the opportunity for 3,000 people to understand who Jesus was. It was all because of these festivals, these whispers of God. that he was saying, pay attention. Don't miss this. So through Christmas Eve, we started last week with the first two festivals. If you missed that, you weren't here, you haven't caught online, I would encourage you just to go back and, and catch up. And we're going to look at these seven festivals now through Christmas Eve. I don't want us to celebrate the season and the festival and miss the whisper, who is the Christ. So I'm going to dive deep in the Old Testament with your permission. And here's how it goes. Silence implies consent. So thank you for being quiet because you've consented to be doing this. So, but this is, this is why you come flip side because it's a little deeper, a little different. <laughs> These festivals are recorded for us in Leviticus 23. So let me just recap these festivals. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. The appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as a sacred assembly or convocation. What that means is this is a special time when my people gather together with each other and with God. Okay. 
there are six days you may work. And he's setting, he's setting this whole thing up. And he's setting it up with what we understand as the Sabbath. Okay? There are six days you can work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest. It means just you don't do any work, you rely on what I've already done. A day of sacred assembly. You're to do no work wherever you live. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. So that's how he's setting this whole thing up. Then he says, here's the festivals. These are the Lord's appointed festivals and sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover, that's festival number one. It begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first one. Now, don't get lost. I'm going to walk you through all this stuff. Let me just set the table before we start eating. You understand? So let me just, I'm setting the table here. So that's the first, that's the first festival, the festival of Passover. Begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day, the very next day of that month, the Lord's Festival of Unleavened Bread begins. That's festival number two. For seven days, an entire week, you eat, only, uh, eat bread uh, made without any yeast. Okay? Another word, leaven. When you enter the land, I'm going to give you, and you reap the harvest. When you, when you plant, you sow, and you reap, that first time you harvest that grain, you bring to the priest a sheaf, just think bundle, a bundle of first grain. Okay, the first things you reap, you bring a bundle of that. It's called first fruits. That's the third festival. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the fourth festival. Is that the fourth or the third? What did I say? That's the third festival. Okay, the, this, the first fruits. Uh, from that day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the, the bundle of the wave of this, the, this harvest that you weighed before God, count off seven full weeks. How? how how many days is seven full weeks? 49. So you're counting seven full weeks. Now watch this. Count off 50 days. So the day after. So the day after the 49th day. That's Pentecost. Pentecost means literally 50th or 50th day. So Pentecost is the fourth festival. Up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month. So now we've had that four month break. First day of the seventh month, um, you, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. That's the festival of trumpets. Do no regular work, uh, but present the uh, food offering to the Lord. Now watch this. The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. This is when the nation will make atonement for their sin. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves. It means fast. And present a food offering to the Lord. Don't do any work on that day because it's a day of atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Now, on the 15th day of the seventh month, uh, the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins. This is the seventh one. And it lasts for seven days. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Now, don't let your eyes gloss over yet. Okay? All that stuff, rightly understood, you have no idea what all that's about. Unless you have geeked out and dove way deep in Old Testament stuff, all of this, I would say it would be Greek to you, but Old Testament was written in Hebrew, so it's all Hebrew to you. Like, like you, I don't, so, so let me just walk you through this. All of this was set up by a model, a whisper. And the whisper was of the Sabbath. In Genesis 2.2, on the seventh day, God finished the work. So the work was done. The first six days, God worked, but the work was done. The seventh, he rested. Okay? So that was the whisper. 
Like God's doing something. I'm not sure what it is, but he works, 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 rest. That's a model. It's a whisper. It's a type. The command to the Sabbath, rest, way later in Exodus 20, verses 18, or 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day, the rest day, by keeping it holy. Six days, y'all go on and work now. But the seventh day is a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. What's he doing? Well, he's saying, I gave you a model in creation. I want you to live it in your life. Why? Because in that Sabbath, rest from your work. Now, this is not just about having a day off so we can sleep in and have an excuse not to clean out the garage. There's something more going on. The whisper of the Sabbath was about salvation. Now, God had done all the work. And then everybody just rests in the work already done. It wasn't about a day off of work. It was about a day off of labor that God had done the work for salvation and said, now I want you to rest in the work that I've already done. Here's the problem with religion. Religion will say, work hard, do what you're supposed to do, don't do what you're not supposed to do, do what you're supposed to do, don't do what you're not supposed to do. And if you've done enough, maybe God will say you're okay when you meet him face to face. The problem is, when do you know you've ever done enough? You might do more than them, but you'll probably do less than them. So how do you know? Unless someone else has put in the work for you and allows you to rest in the work someone else has done, you are always working. And that's why so many people have walked away from church and away from religion because what they signed up for, for was religious behavior rather than resting and relying on the work already put in by God. Do you understand? So it's a whisper. It's a type that's indicating something else. So last week we talked about the first of the spring festivals, which was the festival of Passover. And just as a reminder, bring up to speed, the Passover was the commemoration of God freeing the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. They were captive for a long time in Egypt. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, used them as slave labor, abused them, brutalized them. And that nation was built on their backs. That's not an unfamiliar idea in the course of human history. Been that way from day one. And God wanted his people free because God's intent is not for anybody to live in bondage. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially. And so God goes through this process of freeing his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And the way God did that first first it's like he asked politely. God asked Pharaoh politely, look, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh said no. And Pharaoh continued, the king of Egypt continued to deny God time after time. And so God did, he, he sent 10 plagues and they got brutal in an effort to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. The 10th plague, it was so bad. The 10th plague, God said, you know, here's the thing, you forced my hand. And I'm going to send a death angel over the land of Egypt to kill the firstborn, every person and animal. Unless, he told his people, unless you take a lamb, sacrifice it 
Take the blood of the lamb and put it over the door of the entryway of your home. When I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over and not bring judgment on that home. It's Passover. And so they celebrate that every year. It was a big, big, big deal. And then the first day after the celebration of that, symbolic of God's judgment passing over that life as the blood of the lamb over it, was the festival of unleavened bread. And in the Bible, leaven or yeast always represents sin. All the time. And so the festival of unleavened bread is when they would make bread without yeast. It's like a cracker. And so important was this that they were told to get rid of the leaven out of their entire house. Like they couldn't even have it in a little jar in the pantry. Like they had to rid their entire house, all their possessions, no leaven. Why? Because leaven was the whisper, was the shadow that represented sin. And so no leaven represents a life cleansed of sin. You, you following me? Okay. This is really important to understand for the feast today. So those were the first two. We talked about those in depth last week. If you missed that, I encourage you to, to, to go listen to that. There's a lot there. It's really, really, really fun. Now, oh, today, these last two spring feasts, I'm, a, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to geek out a little bit, okay? So it's, it's, don't, let, like, don't check out on me yet. Wait till the end. And then you can check out on everything I've said if you don't want to, but... but I love doing this stuff. So the, the, the next two spring festivals. Number three was first fruits. Number four was Pentecost. Okay, so, so let's just remind ourselves. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land that I'm going to give you and reap the harvest you've planted, and now you've reaped what you've planted, and it's a blessing, bring to the priest a sheaf or a bundle of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf of that bundle before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. Now watch this. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought that bundle of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. And again, that's how many days? 49. Seven weeks, seven days a week, 49. Okay, so I count off 50 days. So 49 days, and then the day after, the day after the seventh Sabbath. So seven Sabbaths, 49, the day after that. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain this. But what, here's what I want you to watch this. From where, wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah. Don't worry about how, like, a little bit of the first flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of the first fruits of the Lord. So let, let me just let me walk through. Go with me on this little journey here. Spring festival number three, okay? First fruits. There were two harvests during this time of year. The first harvest was the barley harvest. The second harvest was a wheat harvest. They, after the barley harvest... They've been through the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now they celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. That was the first harvest of their religious calendar, and it was a barley harvest. And they would take the very first, like, cuts of barley and take it to church, and they would wave it, a symbolic act of giving the first fruits to God. 
Here's what was important. That first wave offering, the first fruit that was given to God, was symbolic of all the other harvests that they would reap. And what they knew is this. It was a symbolic giving to God out of thanks and gratitude. And they knew that if God accepted the first fruit offering, he would accept all the other things that would come after that. Here's the thing. Here's what we got to understand. The first fruit was representative of all the harvest to come. So it was a stand-in. It was a whisper. If the first fruit was accepted, everything coming after in the same vein of that fruit would be accepted as well. Now, this was a big deal because the first fruit was representative of everything coming after. God was whispering. Do you hear his whisper? Now, watch this. The first fruit, this bundle, was waved, offered to God, the first day after the Sabbath. Passover was on a Friday. The Sabbath, last day of the week, Saturday. The first fruits, the day after the Sabbath, was on a Sunday. Now watch this. Based on the timing of the festivals, because we're told, the 14th day of the first month of the religious calendar, which was the month of Nisan. Okay, that means something to them, but anyway, that's the first month. And what we know of the New Testament, watch this. Jesus was crucified on the evening the Passover meal was prepared, which was a Friday. It was the same time the priests at the temple were preparing the Passover lambs for the sacrifice of the Passover. He was raised three days later. Here's what it looks like. The first day was Passover that was celebrated on Friday. The second day was the Sabbath, which was a Saturday, which began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The third day, the first fruits, was a Sunday. I'm going to give you one guess on what day Jesus was resurrected. On Sunday, the day of first fruits. That was offered and accepted by God that everybody coming after him in that same vein would because he was accepted as the first fruit would be accepted as well. You understand? Now I'm telling you, I, I get geeked out about this stuff. God is in control. And he's whispering. Do you hear his whisper? In speaking about the resurrection, Paul, generations later, would say this in 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He's saying, look, most of you were around when Jesus was resurrected. It wasn't that long ago. If we say he wasn't resurrected, there is no resurrection. But you know he was resurrected, so you have to admit there was a resurrection. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if there is no resurrection, what we've told you about God's a lie. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. I mean, if the dead aren't raised, then he's not raised. 
If he's raised, the dead are raised. What are you saying? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, you ought to pity us. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that, like, we give our lives to this stuff. We give our lives to this. We're like, we throw in with everything to this. And it is costly. Why? Because there's a resurrection. Like, for us who bought into this, this is the only hell we'll experience. Because we've got heaven waiting. He said, but if the resurrection hasn't happened, pity us. Because we're giving ourselves to nothing. Like this resurrection is important. You understand? See, life on earth is not the final destination. The grave doesn't simply equal worm food. Like there's more to it. But watch this. A promise is worth nothing without a guarantee. So, Paul, you can promise me all this stuff all you want, but unless you guarantee it, why should I believe it? So, Paul then writes verse 20 after verse 19, and he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The f- what? <laughs> the first fruit of those who fall asleep. I love this. Here's why. They know what the first fruit harvest festival is. It's the guarantee that all who come later out of that fruit of that harvest will be accepted. He says, Jesus is our first fruit. He's already been presented to God, accepted and raised, resurrected. So guess what that means? Everybody who comes later is already accepted. If the if Jesus, the first fruit, was accepted and resurrected, all coming after by faith in Jesus are accepted and resurrected. All those who come in later, who rest in the blood of the Lamb, Passover, can rest in the unleavened life, sinlessness of Christ. Because he has been accepted and resurrected as the first fruit, we are too. God had been whispering this whole time. He is your guarantee. Not your behavior. Not by what you don't do. Not by what you do. Do. Not by anything of you. Simply by the nature of the first fruit. For 1,400 years. This is important. Because this is the whisper. This reminds us of the whisper of God. That what has been offered as the first fruit is our guarantee. So, on that night that Jesus was handed over to the men who were responsible for his crucifixion, he shared that meal. And we talked about this last week a lot. You need to go back and listen to what this, what this was. And he said, this is my body, which I'm giving for you as the first fruit, guaranteeing that you will be accepted and resurrected. Do this in memory of me. And in a very similar way, Jesus took the cup.
And he lifted it up to heaven and he gave thanks. He says, this cup is the new cup. It's a promise. It's the guarantee because I'm the first fruit of the forgiveness of sin and the resurrection. Because of who I am, I am the promise, Jesus says. Do this in memory of me. So we take this not as religious duty. We take this not as a church requirement. We take this because we know the first fruits. So these first three festivals, Festival of Passover, Festival of the Bread, Festival of First Fruits, all within one week, God was whispering. Then 50 days later, the fourth festival of the spring calendar, the festival of Pentecost, 50 days. Now just to remind you, the Bible says way back when God gave this to Moses to give to the people, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you, were, you brought the sheaf or the bundle of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, which is how many days? Forty-nine. Excellent, Sean, thank you. <laughs> He said it with some authority, too. boy, good. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So the day after the Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. You understand that. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. So the first fruits, the wave offering, first harvest of the barley grain, Pentecost, 50 days later, Pentecost means literally 50th or 50 days, after the wheat harvest, they were to present an offering to the Lord. And the offering of the Lord was to be of, of, of what? Well, that's what they made it with, but it was two loaves. Two loaves. Two loaves. But what was significant? Do you notice what's significant about the two loaves now that they offer to God? Cameron said it first. What's different? Yeast was in it. Leaven was in it. 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it's so important you get it out of your entire home, you can't even have it on your clothes, you can't even have it in your pantry, you can't even have it in a little jar in your sock drawer, get rid of it all. It all represents sin and corruption and death. Now it has to be in the bread that you offer back to God. What is going on? You ever read the Bible? <laughs> is God neurotic? Is he confused? Did he somehow change his mind? Did he realize that salting crackers aren't nearly as good as sourdough? I'm like, what? Well, let's think about this. What does leaven do? It's yeast, so it spreads rapidly, right? A little bit infects everything. You put a little bit of yeast or leaven in a batch of dough, pretty soon it stretches through the whole thing, right? Any bakers in here? Yeah. Any bakers? You're a baker, Sean? Yeah. All right, you know. So it spreads through the whole batch of dough. It spreads quickly. And it expands rapidly, right? So it makes the bread rise. That's what leaven does. So we understand why in the Bible it would represent sin, don't we? How many times has a little sin became a big deal? Right? 
How many times has sin in one part of our life affected and infected every part of our life? How many times have we played with sin and soon it has spread? So we understand why leaven in the Bible would represent sin. But now, why add it to that which was purified and offer that at Pentecost? Good question. Thanks for asking. Here's what I think. After the resurrection, Jesus walked around in bodily form, walked around Jerusalem for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he appeared to over 500 people in bodily form. That's why their message could never be denied in the first uh, uh, first century, because they had all seen it happen. After 40 days of showing himself in bodily form as resurrected from the grave, he ascended to heaven, and he told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem till I give you the Holy Spirit. Guess how many days they waited in Jerusalem? Okay, so don't check out on me now. Stay here. He walks around 40 days. Is it clicking? You're a linebacker. I get it. It's slow to come. That's all right. Walks around 40 days. Says, wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Guess how long they wait in Jerusalem? Ten days. days. Till Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? The Holy Spirit was given to them on the 50th day. It was at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit infected and indwelt a little batch of people. And through that little batch of people that was infected with the substance that would cause explosive growth, 3,000 people accepted Christ as the Messiah and the kingdom began to expand and spread rapidly so that now the kingdom of God includes the mess and the leaven that was once considered unclean and nasty because now I and the kingdom is filled with that element that creates explosive and rapid growth. No longer is it filled with the leaven of sin. Now it is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we spread the kingdom everywhere. Rapidly. Do you understand? Do you hear the whisper? Let me ask you this question. Can I ask you another question? Yes. If they got rid of all the leaven and everything in their house, all the food, all the bread, all the jars, it wasn't around. Every Jewish home did this. There's no leaven. But now they have to make bread with it. Where do they get it? Dollar General? It's not around. You want to know how they got it? This, this, this stuff, 
stuff blows me away. I love it. Watch this. They take some of the unleavened bread, some that which was purified, that had no leaven in it, representative of an unleavened life, no a sinless, pure life. They would take some of that and set it outside and just let it sit there. What would it do while it sat outside? It would absorb all the filth and all the dirt and all the grime that was around it, and it would literally mold, thus creating leaven that they would use to leaven the loaves that they would now bake and give back to the Lord. What happened was... God was whispering about the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. Don't miss the whisper. Jesus is the unleavened bread without sin, completely purified, completely pure and holy. Jesus was set aside in the middle of humanity to absorb and to graft into himself all the leaven and all the dirt and all the grime and all the sin of that which was around it. You understand? Now watch this. This is what Paul says about it in 2 Corinthians 5. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, completely unleavened, completely pure, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus, the unleavened bread, was set aside, absorbed our sin. We now can offer ourselves to God as the righteousness of him who was unleavened. Because he was the first fruit that was offered to God and accepted in resurrection. He is now our guarantee in spite of the leaven that had infected us. Now he's absorbed that. So we are then guaranteed. Do you understand? Do you hear the whisper? Has nothing to do Salvation has nothing to do with your behavior. Has nothing to do with how good you are. Has nothing to do with how bad you are. Has nothing to do with anything you can do. Has nothing to do with anything you've done. Why? Because there was a man who was completely unleavened and set sin free. Who was the son of God. Who was offered as the first fruits. And by nature of his acceptance. Everything that comes after him in his vein. Is now declared already accepted. You understand? It's not about religion. It's about everything that he's done. And God has been whispering. I want you to hear his whisper. Can I give you one more? Is that all right? I'm going to paraphrase three chapters for you. Exodus 20, they give me the Ten Commandments. Watch this. I love this. This is a lot of this. I love this. Let me just tell you this. I'm going to take a little commercial break right here. Uh, On Monday nights, I get together with people over at Second Sun Brews from 6 to 8, and we talk about the Bible, and we talk about this stuff, and we talk about theology stuff. So any of you who are 21 and older (laughs) want to join a church ministry at the brewery, (laughs) you're more than welcome. It's beer made with yeast, and it's really, really good, Uh, because Jesus absorbed the alcohol, and um, I don't know, it's just... It's just a good place. So if you're like, if you're like, wow, this is crazy. I want to talk more about that. Then you join us Monday nights. Watch this. 
God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Because this is the whole Passover thing. Remember, it's a big deal. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Like this was the big deal with God. You understand that, right? Ten Commandments. So watch what happened. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long come down from the mountain, because he's up there talking with, with God for quite a long time, 40 days. And they gathered around Aaron, who was the priest. And they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. And he, Aaron the priest, made a golden calf and said, these are your gods. Huh, that was a bad move. So continuing, that day when God saw what was happening, Moses comes down the mountain, sees what I'm in, that day about 3,000 people died at the hand of God because of the direct violation of worshiping something other than him. That's pretty brutal. 3,000 people died. Now watch this. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound of the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other known human languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Watch what happened. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation on heaven. Why? Because of the festivals that required every able-bodied male Jew to be in Jerusalem. So you got all these people from all over the known world who were there. When they heard the sound, a crowd to get, uh, came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking his own language. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Like this, this was incredible. See, God had been whispering for 1,400 years about what was going to come. And now they're starting to see Waldo a little bit. They're starting to see the picture. It's starting to become clear. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. But tell me more. I got to see it. Like, make it clear. What do we do? And Peter replied, repent to be baptized. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about how many? 3,000 <laughs> 3, people were added to their number that day. Watch this. The law was given to Moses at Sinai. Two stone, two stone tablets. Hard, crushing, heavy couldn't able to bear it nor carry it, came down the mountain and God saw him sinning, breaking the law and God struck down 3,000 people that day. But now, don't miss the whisper, but now at Pentecost, by God's grace, the Holy Spirit enters where once there was law, now there's mercy and grace. God gives his Holy Spirit to the church and now, rather than 3,000 people dying, now 3,000 people find life. Yes, yes, yes. Do you understand? This is the whisper that is set in motion because of Christmas. Jesus was born in a manger, not to condemn the world, not to chastise, and not to shame sinners like me, not to cast me aside because of the leaven and the sin that's in my life. He was born in a manger to absorb it, to offer himself as the first fruit for my guarantee, to shed his blood so you and I could live sinless lives, purified, not that we don't sin, 
but purified of it because of his blood. Freed from the slavery of sin. He was born that first Christmas day in a manger to live and offer himself as the first fruits, guaranteeing our acceptance before the Father and accepting me and accepting you into his family to then infect the whole world, the whole world, with life by faith because of his grace. It's all whispers of the Messiah. Here's what I know, my dear good friends. This is bigger than me. And it's bigger than you. Here's what I know. Oh, good people. This is more profound. This is more incredible. This carries so much more weight and purpose than anything else in this world. Anything else we could give ours. This is so much more than anything we've ever heard or experienced. Do you realize if you have a relationship with Jesus, what you have become a part of? Do you realize what God has invited you into? This is so big and so profound. That 2,000 years ago, he'd already been whispering for 1,400. And then he said, I'm not going to whisper it anymore. I'm going to shout it. In the life of my son. This is so big. And he invites us into this mystery. This is bigger than anything, anything we're going through right now. It's been bigger than anything we've been in in the past. It's bigger than anything we're walking. Do you realize how big this is? And what you are invited into and the grandness that your life becomes when it's attached to this kingdom. I want you to pray with me. Father, some of us signed up with you and didn't realize what we were signing up for. I'm overwhelmed with the grandness and, and with your plan, with your work, with what you've done. It's amazing to me. And the fact that you would whisper it to your people and then shout it to you and then leave us with it. Father, some of us have gotten really wrapped up in the festivals and seasons of this life that 
that we've not seen you at all. Father, there are some this morning who are realizing that you're really the point of it all. Hear their hearts right now. I invite you in this moment to not only hear the whisper, but respond to Christ. And say something like, Father, thank you that by the blood of Jesus, judgment passes over me. Jesus, thank you that you are sinless and perfect. Thank you that you are the first fruits guaranteeing my acceptance by the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you have accepted the infection of my sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you have made me whole already. Help me to walk in the freedom that you've given me. And now come to terms with this in your own mind before God. Tell him, Father, help me carry with me a larger understanding of the magnitude of this kingdom that you've invited me into. That you chose me and now I'm choosing you. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us to unpack your word. Thank you for how you've continued to whisper and to whisper. And that's gotten louder and louder so that now it is a shout in the person of your son. Thank you that we have the opportunity to celebrate this season that is the commemoration of his birth. Help us not get lost in the commemoration of his birth. Help us celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. Father, that we would become the righteousness of Christ in a world full of leaven that needs the redemptive work of you in it. Thank you that you sent us out. To expand and to grow your kingdom. Thank you for your love that is not contingent upon what we do. That's already been provided by what you've done as our first fruit offering. Thank you. Thank you that you've broken down the walls. Thank you that you've done all the work. Thank you that by grace you've invited us in. Thank you that you love us that much. Not leave us outside, but invite us in. Thank you. We've chosen to be yours. Go before us, authenticating your word so that the world would see not just a baby, but so that the world would see the risen Jesus and all that you are. God, we love you. Amen.